Up on the screen, the title is given here as Receive Freedom, Extend Freedom. But I've actually, uh, I've decided to adjust it a little bit. And in your bulletin, it says this. It says, Receive Freedom, Receive freedom Extend Justice. And really, I want to talk about the relationship between freedom and justice and the gospel. And in particular, I want to ask and, and try to wrestle with and come up with some small answers to the question, what is the connection between the gospel and justice? What is the connection between the gospel and justice? And here's why I think this is a relevant and important question for us today. Number one is it's a conversation in our culture, and our culture, our culture is being discipled, and we, as a part of that culture, in trying to answer this question, are being discipled by politicians and pundits and pop culture, which are not always the best sources of information. And so we, and there's, a, there's this question about words like justice and social justice, what do they mean? And we as a church who have the word of God and have the gospel of Jesus need to come at it from that perspective and we can speak into and, and join this conversation, but we need to do it in an intelligent, in a biblical, and a gospel-centered way. So that's number one. Number two is, the world is full of injustice. It's full of oppression. It's full of people who are, in, who are being oppressed by others. And so the question is, does the gospel offer any hope? And if so, what kind of hope? And then third, uh, you may have experienced injustice. You may actually be experiencing injustice of some sort. So the question for you might be, does the gospel say anything to you? Or it's also relevant, number four, because we are people who live under the lordship of Jesus. And so the question is, if we're under the lordship and the authority of Jesus, what does God require of us? What does he desire from us to do in regards to justice? And then finally, we as an institutional church, we as an organization, we need to know how to engage as the church in the question of justice. Is it, what does it mean? Is, it a, is pursuing these things uh, an expression of the gospel? Is it a distraction from the gospel? How does it fit with our greater gospel ministry of going and making disciples? So I think this is an important question for, for us to ask this morning. And my, my approach this morning, I'm not really going to have a central text. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to end in Galatians chapter 5. But throughout, we're going to uh, sort of take a look at, look at the story of Scripture and look at movements from freedom to slavery, from slavery to freedom, from and back and forth, freedom to slavery, right? And we're going to look at what's the storyline of the Bible, and then how does God's action in setting us free relate to our actions as God's people in terms of justice? So that's, that's the methodology. I'm always a little nervous when I don't have like one key central text. And I don't really, in this case, I've, we're sort of taking a broad look at scripture. And that's just a requirement on the rest of you to, to consider what I'm saying and say, does it fit with the whole counsel of scripture? That's what I, what I am endeavoring to do. But you, you guys watch and listen. You guys also have the scripture, so seek it there as well. All right. So let's start by reading Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
You, my brothers and sisters, back down in verse 13 now. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father God, I submit myself this morning to your word, to your truth. Lord, give me, may, may, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And we as a church submit ourselves to your lordship. Let it not be our law, our vision, our ideas, but yours that comes in and fills us and changes and transforms our minds and our hearts, desires and our affections and our actions to be pleasing to you. You do say you love justice and you want us to love justice and, and you have set us free for that purpose. But God, it's complicated, it's confusing, so we need your insight now this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our first movement that we're going to look to is a movement that goes from freedom to slavery. And we're going to look at this in terms of creation and the fall. God set Adam and Eve in the garden in a free state. They were free. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and everything living and every other living creature that moves on the ground. So God calls Adam and Eve and he and he makes them, and Adam and Eve are in a, in a free state. You and I are, apart from Christ, are slaves to sin. We have it within us. Even, even still, I have within me a sin nature that moves me towards rebellion against God and that I am unable to save myself from on my own. And Jesus comes and he saves me from that. But Adam and Eve, before the fall, did not have that same sin nature that came as a result of the fall. And so Adam and Eve in the garden were in a special state of freedom. They had the power to choose either good or evil, but they were not slaves to sin in the same way. They were not slaves to sin. They were free to choose good or evil. Now they chose evil, but God puts them in the garden in this free state, and he puts them there to rule and to reign, to subdue the earth. Now they were to not, they're not ruling on their own, they're not just coming up with their own ideas. They are ruling under the authority of God, okay? So that's the position that Adam and Eve are in. But they sinned and they rebelled against God. And that rebellion led to violence. What was the nature of their rebellion? They were made in the image of God and they had power to rule over the authority to rule on the earth under God's authority. And instead, the devil comes to them and says, you know what? You can, you can be wise like God. Take this route. Make your own decision. You don't have to be under God's law. You get to decide your own law. And so this was pleasing to Adam and they, they liked this idea. And so they decided to become autonomous, to have a law of their own, apart from God. And so they rebelled against God's authority. And what did that lead to? That led to violence, that led to, to Cain and Abel, Right, so Cain becomes jealous of Abel, and he sees what Abel is, 
that Abel has an offering that's pleasing to God and his didn't please God. And God says, hold on, you, you, you can, sin is crouching at the door. What are you going to do? And Abel decides again to take up this decision on his own and kill his brother. And then we just see this decline into violence. Genesis 6 says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, and God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So there's this, so then once, once we get right before the flood, this is right before the flood, we've got these rebellious people who are corrupted, who are going their own way, who have thrown off the authority and the rule of God and have established their own authority and rule. What do they do with that? They enact violence and corruption and just destruction. And God sees and he looks at the world and he says even he regretted that he made it. Well, how about the, the, the injustice that had spread in the world? So we see that pattern. There's a free state. We decide on our own to have our own law apart from God's law, apart from God's reign, and it leads to violence and injustice. So that's our first movement. Our second movement then is a movement from slavery into freedom. So the story goes on and we get to the book of Exodus. And we, what do we have? We have Israel is in the land and they are under now the authority of, of a power of Pharaoh. And once again, what has Pharaoh done? Pharaoh is the ruler who has on his own decided what is good and what is evil. And from his perspective, what is good is to enslave the people of God so that he can just get more stuff. And because he sees them as a threat, because he thinks they're going to they're gonna throw off his rule. So he is rejecting God's rule. Pharaoh is rejecting God's rule. And as a result, the people are slaves. Now, this is a different kind of slavery. This is a slayer in a slavery in this sense. It's still a slavery to sin, but it's it's a slavery to somebody else's sin. It's an oppression. It's the slavery uh, oppressed on them or given to them by the corrupt ruler in Pharaoh. So what does God do? Chapter three, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, I, and I am concerned about their suffering. So God sees the oppression of Israel, sees the slavery that they're under, and he is concerned, he hears their cry, and he hates this injustice. And so he's, he's going to do something about it. He says, I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to save them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and a spacious land. So God is coming. They are under slavery, and God is going to bring them into a freedom. Now, this freedom that he leads them to is a freedom that's going to lead to just laws, especially concerned for the vulnerable. So God comes in, he demonstrates his authority and power by sending the plagues and taking care of them in the wilderness and the, the, the pillar of fire to guide them and the pillar of smoke and the parting of the Red Sea. So God shows his authority and his power and his reign in freeing Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and then what does he do? He takes them into the land, and, and actually even before the land, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. So they are moved out of slavery, but th their freedom is not a freedom of no restraints, right? It's a freedom under law. And God has established, he's given them law actually to, to increase their freedom. 
it's not only a freedom from something, in this case slavery, but it's a freedom to be the people that God has made them to be. See, some of the, some of the things, ways we get messed up is that we envision freedom as a freedom from all restraints. That's not a biblical vision of freedom. Freedom is freedom from sin or freedom from oppression in this case, but it's also a freedom to serve God in a particular way. And it is a freedom under the law and within the law that he gives us. And this law was to bring freedom to the whole of the community. And so it's a good, it's supposed to bring justice, right? That's the purpose of the law, is to establish and maintain and keep justice within the people of Israel so that they properly serve and love God and they love one another in the right way. Now, what we see is that Moses, in hearing this law from God, there is a special concern for a certain subset of people, the vulnerable. Here's Exodus chapter 22. This is what God says in his law. He says, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. For you were foreigners in Egypt and do not forsake or do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, they cry out to me and I will certainly hear their cry. I've highlighted here foreigner, widow, and fatherless. And these three groups of people are brought up in the law, especially in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy multiple times. The triad of the vulnerable. Now, why are they especially vulnerable? They're especially vulnerable because in that time, the, the, and the, the way that you had power and the way that you had uh, food and the way that you had, the, the source of power within that culture was, had to do with the land. It was an agricultural society. So if you owned land, if you had land, you had the ability to grow your own crops and to, to sell those crops. That was your source of of power in the land. It was, it all is all about the land. Today we're sort of disconnected from that, but then everybody was a farmer, okay? So that's how you had any sort of power. But if you're a foreigner, you have no power because you don't have any land. The land belongs to the people of God. If you're a widow, the land was through the fathers, and so you were disconnected from the land of your now deceased husband. And if you were the fatherless, again, you're disconnected from your father who would have owned the land. So the foreigners, the widows, and the fatherless were disconnected from the source of power in the land, so they were especially vulnerable. Did you know that in a fallen world, power can get you a different kind of justice, right? Through bribes, right? There's lots of commands. Don't, don't take a bribe. Why? Because, you know, I, I scratched your back, you scratched my back. I, I rule favorably. I'm the judge. I rule favorably in your case. You give me a little of that money that I need to survive, right? That's just how the world works in a fallen world. And so the vulnerable were especially, these groups were especially vulnerable to being taken advantage of, to being, to being robbed, to, to being exploited in some way, to being sold into slavery. It's just how it was. And so it's not that God didn't want justice for everybody. Of course he wants justice for everybody. But the most vulnerable is where the test really happened. Because it's not hard to offer justice to the guy that's going to slip you a little money. And that's not really justice if you're doing that, right? But you know what, you know what I'm saying. But to nobody, somebody who can't offer you anything, what's going to happen? So that's a test. So God specifically calls out the vulnerable as in need of protection under the law. Justice. Okay? So because there's an extra thing here, too, where it says, Do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. So he's also calling them to remember their past. You guys know what it's like for injustice to happen to you. You know what it's like to be vulnerable in the land. 
play, think about that, have some empathy, and consider how am I going to, you know, how am I going to treat now the foreigner? Am I going to show them justice that God requires, or am I going to deny them justice? Right? So that's the question. So that's our next movement is from slavery into freedom. God frees them from, exit, from, from Egypt. He brings them out from under that power. He puts them in a land of just laws, and he says there's concern for the vulnerable. Next, we have a movement from freedom back to slavery. God gives the people a law which is supposed to enact justice, and what do they do? They don't do it. And there's two major faults, two categories of faults that Israel falls into. Um, that these get, uh, we see these especially in the prophets. One category is idolatry. Idolatry. They were supposed to be God's people under God's authority, and instead they give up God's authority and they follow after these other gods. They make gods out of wood and stone and precious metals and they bow down to them. And they take up a different authority that is no authority at all. And they cede their allegiance over to that false thing, that fake thing, right? That's, that's a serious sin in God's eyes. When we give up, we, we, we worship, we don't worship God. And we said we worship something else. And then right along with that, there is the sin of injustice towards the very people who they were supposed to protect. Look what it says in, uh, in Jeremiah. Um, it says this, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. There's number one. There's their first sin. They threw off the reign of God in their lives. And then number two is on your clothes, this is a little farther down in the, in the chapter, on your clothes is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. And if you keep reading in Jeremiah, you see especially it's the kings and the rulers that had, had it oppressed and, and, and enacted slavery in order to, to build their nice houses and their nice mansions and to live comfortably, high on the horse. And so what does God do? God judges them for this. I'll go back a little bit. So there is a freedom to, uh, freedom to slavery now because, because they did these things, God brings in exile. And the exile is caused by idolatry and injustice. So if we just take a look in general, what's the motion of, of if freedom to slavery is when we throw off God's rule and reign and we rule on our own? And what's the movement from slavery into freedom? It's when God, by his grace, by his mercy, comes in and moves and transforms and brings about justice on his own. That's how the motion goes. When, we are un, when we're our own bosses, we bring about injustice. And when God comes in, he brings about freedom and calls us to justice. So that brings us to um, our, our fourth. All right, what are you, yeah, we'll just go here. And that is from slavery to freedom. Uh, from slavery to freedom, now in the movement of, of Christ. Now in the movement of Christ. And now we can head on back to Galatians. Back to Galatians chapter 5. Look what Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Paul, in proclaiming the gospel, sees it as a movement of freedom of God, that God is setting us free in Jesus. This is what Jesus said too. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the gospel is a movement of God freeing us. So what is God freeing us from? 
I'm going to look at three types of slavery, three types of slavery that we see in Scripture. One is social oppression. This is what we saw in, in the Exodus, right? Where uh, we've got one power, in this case Pharaoh, Egypt, is constraining, is restricting, is forcing another people to do something against their will. Slavery. Now this, of course, still happens. In fact, there's lots of slavery all around the world. And there's lots of different kinds of social oppression that we see all around the world. So this is one type of slavery, and it's a type of slavery that is addressed in Scripture. Another type of slavery is a slavery to our sin nature. I was talking about Adam and Eve back at the beginning of the message. I said, we have a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. So that we, where Paul can say, I, I don't do what I want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. And we have this internal struggle because we know the law of God. We know his righteous decrees. But within our sin nature, within us, in our hearts, this is not a separate piece of us, right? This is part of us, this desire to be our own bosses and to do our own things. So we have a sin nature. And we are slaves, Paul says, to our sin nature. Whoever sins is a slave to sin, Jesus says also. Third, then, we are slaves to the law. Or maybe another way to say this is we're slaves to the curse of the law. Again, the law was good and righteous. It was God's right commands, God's right justice. And yet the law came with a blessing and a curse. And the blessing was if you followed the law, you would, get, you would live well and long in the land. And if you rejected the law, you would serve the curse of the law. And the problem is that because of our sin nature, and we're slaves to our sin nature, we never take the route of blessing. Nobody does. There's no unrighteous, not none. We all take the route of our own way, the, the, the curse. And so we have the curse of God on us because we reject God's law and we disobey God's law. And so we are under the curse of the law. We are slaves to the curse of the law, you could say. We cannot escape it on our own. It has mastery and ruler over us. So those are the types of slavery that we're in. They all go back to, I think, I'm the boss. You could all say that in some sense, this is a slavery to sin. Slavery to someone else's sin, in the case of injustice and oppression. Slavery to my sin nature, in the case that Paul talks about in Romans. Slavery to the sin, right, that leads me to the curse of the law and the judgment of God from the law in Galatians. Make sense? How do all these things get rectified? How does Jesus bring us freedom? I think it's the reign of Jesus. If, I, if I'm in my own sin, or if, if I'm a slave because I decide I'm going to be the boss, Jesus comes in and he, he says, no, I am going to reign, and I am going to rule, and I am going to bring freedom. It's Jesus' reign that I think connects all these three together. Take a look. Number one, we're freed from the first one by the cross. Jesus' reign on the cross. Did you know that Jesus was reigning on the cross? The cross was a victory for Jesus. It looked from all human perspective like it was a, like it was a defeat, but from Jesus' perspective, he was defeating the devil. He, he became a curse. He became a curse for us. He took on the curse of the law. He took on the guilt of our sin on himself so that it could be cleared away, so that God's justice could be manifested in his judgment against sin, but God's mercy could be manifested because it means mercy for us because it's judged in Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's awesome. And so we're free from the curse of the law because Jesus became the curse for us. 
What a glorious positional freedom that I have in Jesus. That's apart from my works. That's apart from anything I've done. This is totally just the incongruous gift of God into my life. That's grace. I'm freed from that. I just, I just say, yes, Jesus. I say, yes, I'm bankrupt. Yes, there's nothing I could do to get this on my own. I'm bankrupt, but free me. And, and he does. And that's good news. Jesus was reigning on the cross, and it frees us from the slavery that we had under the law. Um, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so there's that first, slavery in Christ. Now, what does God call us to do? Back to Galatians, to use our freedom to love your neighbor. We'll get to those next two things in one second, okay? But I want to read Galatians 5, 13 and 14 again. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Okay, so now that's what Paul's saying. We've been freed from the curse of the law. Now, what do we do with that freedom? Don't use it to indulge the flesh. Use it to serve one another humbly in love. It's interesting, the words of the word serve here. Serve one another. You're free. Now be a servant. That's cool, but this is, a good, this is a good kind of freedom. This is a good kind of servitude that we're coming as we come under the reign of Christ in our life. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now let's move back to the second type of slavery, which was slavery to the sin nature. How does Jesus free us from that? He frees us in his reigning in the resurrection. In his reigning in the resurrection because it's through the resurrection that we come into a new kind of life. When I, by faith, receive Jesus. I am receiving his death and his resurrection. In the, in the symbol of the baptism, I go down into the water, I come back up out of the water. The, the old self is put to death in Jesus' death on the cross, and the new self comes up. In what way? Through the resurrection, by the power of the resurrection. We sang it, right? God says, uh, come out of that grave, because we, we now live in a new resurrected life. Now, I'm still awaiting my bodily resurrection, but I have Jesus in me who is the resurrection and the life. And that is a power to no longer be a slave to sin. Doesn't mean I'm, st I'm still going to sin. I'm st I still have, there's still a battle and a war waging within me, but now I've got the power of the resurrection, the power of the Spirit in my life. And what does it enable me to do? It enables me to love my neighbor as myself. Enables me to follow God's command of love, to live under Jesus' reign and rule in my life. And what does this lead us to? I think it leads us to an overthrow of even the other kinds of injustice, the social oppression that we saw. Again, it's still through the reign of Jesus. And Jesus ascended, he's got all authority and power on earth. And Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, is there going to be any more injustice or oppression on the world? No, that's all going to be gone. When Jesus comes in his final authority and he returns, that's all wiped away. That's all done away with. But in the meantime, he still has power and authority. And what do you think Jesus thinks about the social oppression that we see in the world? Is he, does he approve of it? No, he does not, right? It is, it's not part of his moral will. And so as we seek to follow God, we have that same heart of Jesus. As we look forward to his future and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we, as a people of God, pursue justice in, 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 in line with the heart of God. I want to say it this way, that justice is a branch on the gospel tree. Justice is a branch on the gospel tree. At the center, at the root of our gospel tree, is the good news that Jesus died and he rose again. 
and he ascended on high, and he's returning to come, and we can receive that salvation through faith. And then what does God call us to love? To love our neighbor as yourself. And what is an expression of love? It's an expression of seeking, searching for justice for, uh, for other people, for freedom for others, right? It's a branch. It is not the gospel. Justice is not the gospel, but it's an expression of the gospel. It is a branch on the gospel tree. And it's all, I think, in line by Jesus' reign. Because Jesus is on high, we come under his reign in every area of our lives, including this one. All right, so back to the question. What is the connection between the gospel and justice? And we'll just wrap up with a few, a few thoughts here. Number one, the reign of Christ that frees us calls us to pursue justice. It's the same reign of Christ. The reign of Christ, the reign of God that freed Israel from Egypt called Israel to be the people of God in the land under his law. And the reign of Jesus that frees us calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, compels us. Okay? So it calls us to justice. Secondly, justice is a branch of the gospel tree. I already said that, right? It's an expression of the gospel. It is not the gospel, but it's an expression of the gospel. And third, we need to ask then, all right, how do we evaluate calls for social justice? Because there's this sort of terminology here, social justice, that goes around, and, and what do we do with that? And I would want to say that the words social and justice are good words. Justice is by nature social, in the sense that justice has to do with how we treat and love one another. So if I were just to take on its own the two words, social justice, I would say, all right, that's exactly what God calls us to. But there's a problem. And that is that many people have different conceptions, different understandings of justice, what it means, what it is, what it isn't, and different conceptions of how we get to justice. How do we achieve it? What are the proper and okay means to get there? So it's, it's tricky. Just because we hear the word social justice, number one, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily good. And number two, it doesn't mean they're necessarily bad. Unfortunately, these words have taken on a lot of political weight. And so we just... We just go to our tribe, and we judge it based on whatever tribe we're in politically. Instead, we need to evaluate, okay? We need to say, well, how does this? What, does it fit or not? Does it fit or not? And so I've just put three up here. Number one is, does it affirm equality uh, of human dignity, and I want to say for all people? Does it affirm equality of human dignity for all people? But Jonathan Haidt, in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, talks about two kinds of perspectives on justice. One is, a perspective on justice that is common enemy, and one is common humanity. Common enemy, what that does is it breaks the world up into different groups, and I just seek justice for my group. Common humanity says, yes, right now, justice is unevenly distributed. And so there is maybe this one particularly vulnerable group, but the reason why we want uh, justice for them is because all of humanity has human dignity and worth. That's the kind of justice we want to seek, one that affirms all people are made in the image of God. Secondly, does it affirm a full view of the fall? And by that I mean the fall is that we have an individual guilt before God. That's one aspect of it. And the second aspect of it is that because of our sin, because we're so messed up, we mess up every area of life. It is individual. It starts in the human heart, but it spreads out everywhere. And the effects of the fall are everywhere. And so justice, I think, needs to take into both consideration the responsibility and what's going on in the individual human heart that's solved only by the gospel 
and then the effects of that throughout the rest of the world, okay? And then number three is, does it place its final hope in God? See, sometimes we, we have a vision of justice and we say it's, we, we put it all on ourselves. And you know, when we do that, we almost always fall into error because we just have our own idea of justice. We think we can accomplish it on our own. We aim for some human utopia and it almost always turns into a dystopia. It gets messed up, right? But we as Christians, we as believers, as we enter into this conversation, we can come into it with hope that, that yes, we should pursue a certain, we should, we should pursue justice right now, but we're never going to fully get there until Jesus comes back. But when Jesus comes back, it's all there. It's all good. So we have a final hope in God. What does this look like? Well, how do we seek justice then? Just to, just to wrap up here. Number one, we need to recognize what we're free from and, what we're, and then what we're free for. I'll reiterate again. I am not justified by how well I seek justice. I'm justified by the grace of God expressed in Jesus' death on the cross, which he gives to me completely apart from however well or terribly I do in that area. Amen? I'm freed from that. But I am free too to love my neighbor and to seek justice. And it's going to look different for different people. Did you know that there are many kinds of injustice? And the injustice that you care about the most might not be the injustice that somebody else cares about the most. And you know what? That might be okay. Some of you are going to be called in the area of abortion. You're going to see the injustice of abortion and the most vulnerable, those children in the womb. And you're going to, you're going to hand out petitions and you're going, to, you're going to protest and you're going to pray and all those things. Great. That's an injustice in the world. That's a massive injustice in our country right now. If you're called to that, awesome. And don't necessarily judge others who aren't called to the same level. There are others who are going to be called and who will see, maybe from their own, maybe from their own experience, whatever, injustices regarding race or injustices regarding immigrants or refugees or people that are vulnerable because they're displaced from their land or injustice that has to do with, with poverty or injustice that has to do with modern-day slavery and sex trafficking, or that has to do with violence against women or religious persecution. There, there's so much injustice in the world today. Listen to God's voice. Hear his call. Don't, don't, don't judge your brother or your sister in the way that God is leading them. But as an expression of love, I, I don't think we can just say it does, doesn't matter. It matters to God in some way. And so we need to pursue God's call in our lives and I pray that we as a church will, will also pursue that. And we need to be careful, too, that it doesn't become a distraction from the proclamation of Jesus' death on the cross. But it, it is a fruit of that. So how do, we, how do we live that out? That's our challenge. So it matters. We receive freedom, and then we, by God's grace, try to extend justice. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you first that you have, you have set us free purely by your grace, purely by your mercy, you have freed us from the curse of the law. You have freed us from our sin nature. And now you send us out to, to go and use that freedom to love our neighbors. As an expression of that love, we seek justice for our neighbors. Help us to know how to do that. We need your wisdom and guidance in this. And we thank you that you will, in the end, bring about ultimate justice on this earth. We pray for your return. Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly. Thank you in Jesus' name. Again, we pray. Amen. Please stand for our final song.